Hello and welcome to another episode of Creative Riding, the motorcycle podcast that brings you two-wheel topics from around the globe. Tonight's show is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, go to www.patreon.com forward slash creative writing to find out more. Now, to our regularly scheduled show, show, show. All right, everybody, welcome to episode 147 of the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast. I do believe episode 150 is going to be Spooky Spokes, so I hope you've got a scary, spooky story lined up and ready to fire away. Fire at creativewriting.com or uh, creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com, rather. Uh, so tonight, Wiggs is out. Wiggs is uh, building up a race bike to do for the uh, spooktacular race event put on by our friends Brady Walker at Ramming Speed Racing this weekend at Willow Springs. He's building up an XB12. Um, so in the studio tonight with us, we have legendary field producer, the man, the myth, Bri Viffer. How you doing, Bri Viffer? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Um, so this weekend, uh, there was a lot of stuff happening this weekend. The El Camino show happened. Crazy rain. <laughs> I mean, it rained. It was crazy windy here. I didn't think I'd be podcasting tonight, but um, uh, thankfully SoCal Edison uh, got things back on track. But it started out as kind of a weird week, and you and I both did something similar. Uh, this past weekend, I spent a couple days at AIM, and I know you did the same because uh, we both went as creative writing. And uh, I want to ask you, uh, first off, how was it? What did you think of the show? It was my first time going. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was, I, I spent all day there Saturday. We um, we drove out Saturday morning, uh, left Temecula really early and, and got to so we uh, and like I said first time going so I didn't know what to expect but it was uh, and it, it was uh, um, different than what I'd seen I, I'm used to seeing the, the IMS show in Long Beach um, and it, it was like that but a lot bigger um, and Saturday being the first day that it was open to the public it had that that same feel a lot of you know random joes walking around um although uh wearing the the media press badge for creative writing um i i got different questions from a lot of people (laughs) (laughs) were some people like hey you promised me you were going to come back here and interview me yesterday you jerk Yeah, no, I spent a, a good chunk of Thursday. I rolled in. I left here around, I think, 10. And uh, there was zero traffic, though, so I got over there relatively quickly. I think I got over there around one thirty, something like that, noon or one thirty. No, I guess I rolled in there around then. And um, I uh, rolled right in, and I had, I had stopped in Bakersfield to get some gas probably 10 minutes behind the Motorcycles and Misfits podcast because right when I was rolling up into the parking garage there, I see Naked Jim, and um, they said they had just literally arrived. And I said, me too. And so then later, talking over dinner, we realized that we had um, stopped in Bakersfield for gas nearly the same time. So interesting. Uh, And I agree. This is my first time there. This is only the third or fourth year. I I guess this is about the fourth year of AIM. Uh, so it's relatively new where the IMS show before that, before it was progressive, it was Toyota. And, um, I can't even think of how long they've been going on, but for quite a while, um, 
And when I first started going back in 2007, I guess it was, uh, so that's like 11 years ago now, it reminded me more of AIM, where you had not just OEMs, but you had all these dealers and um, not just not just dealers. You had the manufacturer, like factory manufacturers there, but you also had a ton of aftermarket stuff and a ton of smaller people. I remember Hyosung was trying to get into the market. And um, there was a couple, I, free, I don't even remember the name of the companies, but there were some electric scooters that were trying to get in and a lot of electric stuff trying to get in. Uh, Bramo was there, of course. But if you remember 2007, like right after that, you know, the, the market crash, like 2008, you know. So yep. a lot of those companies wiped right off the map. Um, and as a result, the show started getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And I agree with you that AIM was huge. AIM was pretty big. And I, I, I liked it because a lot of the people that you see there, you won't see at IMS. And even a lot of the uh, the factories and manufacturers that are there, um, there's quite a few Chinese and Korean brands there, and you're not going to see them at IMS because IMS, you know, Cycle World and Motorcyclist and uh, Hot Bike or whatever, all those guys are going to be there. Nobody's going to give them the time of day. So AIM really is the one place where they can make a huge impact. And um, I mean, when it's hard, you know, when Royal Enfield struggles to get press time at IMS, you know, and even Triumph doesn't really have much to say, except for like when the street triples come out that's the only time people pay attention to you at IMS. So I feel like AIM was this great uh, platform for different segments of the, of the, uh, the industry. And it was definitely interesting. Um, so I will tell you what I did. If you tell me what you did, you, did you get a chance to test ride? They had a, they had a quite a few, uh, uh, OEMs given uh, test rides there. Did you get a hop in anything or throw a leg over anything? Uh, the, the test drives were actually the last thing that we did. We, we toured the entire, uh, exhibit first. So we spent all day inside. Uh, and then at the end of the day, about, uh, I guess about three thirty, four o'clock, we, we finally got outside to the demo area and I, I wasn't really feeling like taking a, a bike for a demo ride, but they had the Vanderhalls out there, those three wheeled cars. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I decided to sign up for that. Um, they had, a spider there um but that, that they were only doing um exhibition type stuff there where you could uh i think they're calling it joyride or something where you could hop in the co-pilot seat and um they had it set up where you the guy was just spinning around in donuts and figure eights uh, and stuff like that yeah in the but, slingshot right uh, yeah what i say spider yeah yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah, guy was sp- dude that was so annoying uh, yeah. Thursday and Friday, all you could hear was they would spend like hours out there doing. I don't know how many sets of tires they went through, but man, yeah. Well, they they by the time we got out there on Saturday, they had shut that down because I guess all the other uh, uh, OEMs that were doing demo rides were complaining about it the the noise and the and the rubber the burnt rubber smell, and so they they hadn't even uh, they they weren't even doing that anymore. Yeah. It um, was it was pretty annoying, I got to tell you. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it, everybody was getting pissed off. Um, so yeah, and I'm glad you said three-wheeled car and not auto cycle because we you know Chris and I went over this a couple episodes ago, the three-wheeled stuff unless you sit on it and it has handlebars. Come on, it's a car. <laughs> I I agree. So what did you think about it? 
uh, it was pretty neat. I, I was in a car frame of mind. I wasn't expecting anything motorcycle-like, uh, but it, it was cool. It was uh, to the Venice that they had there for demo rides. Um, it's a, a turboed four-cylinder, and, and what was neat about it, what I thought was neat, was the turbo. You really hear it spooling up and and um, and expelling out through the wastegate. Every time you hit the gas and let off, it it whistle up and then and then psh, out the um, out the wastegate. It was so it was kind of cool. Uh, the acceleration was was really quick and um, and you know in the cornering and if you if you give it the gas as you're taking a corner, you really feel the the g force on you. It was it was pretty yeah. neat. Does it have some sort of traction control so you don't step out the rear? I mean, because that seems like in a three wheeled vehicle, like that seems like the cr- most likely situation is that you're just going to pop that rear wheel loose. You know. Yeah, I don't know. I um, I don't know if he said that, and I, I certainly didn't <laughs> push it to the point where where that might uh, kick in. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, <laughs> we tried to keep it civil, uh, but they did take us out on the freeway for one exit, so you so we were able to wick it up a little bit. Um, and it has, uh, you know, it's got it's automatic, and it, um, but it's got the manual like quick shifter thing, you know, mm. up and down for for gear selection. Right. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, so you could you could rev it up pretty good. Um, so and uh, to six speed. So um, we got up onto the freeway, and I was able to get up to the, into six gear at that point. Um, and it, you know, and it hummed along in six gear, but in, in first and second, even third gear, when you get on it, 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 it's quick. The, the only other thing I can remember is, um, years ago, I, I drove a Dodge Stealth, uh, RT twin turbo, like the Mitsubishi 3000, where it had the, it was a six cylinder twin turbo. Right. And, yeah. and it, it was just like that where you give it gas and, and you really feel the acceleration as, as much like a motorcycle. It's, it's really right there. Yeah, man, that's crazy. And uh, did you just follow a test guy around? Like uh, they had like a ride leader go around. Yeah, yeah, there were, yeah. There were five cars, and the the first car was uh, was the leader, and um, and he uh, he brought us around. Um, we stayed, you know, we stayed off the strip, just went around the casinos and and on the freeway for an exit, and uh, and then back off and around. But in a couple areas where you could, you know, coming off the uh, a street light you could really get on the gas. Yeah, that's rad. But yeah, but and he he, he was a cool driver too cuz you know, he would take off so everyone had to really uh get on it to stay up with him, you know. He, he wasn't taking it easy. Yeah. I I did a couple test rides myself and I found that to be the case. They didn't they kind of hauled ass away from the lights cuz they wanted you to have a chance to row through the gears and yep. they wanted you to see what the acceleration was like. Uh, you know, you take off <laughs> how you know how much would you really be able to test a bike in vegas traffic you know that's that was the other thing is that uh i did my rides in the mornings on friday and um it was a good time because everybody that was at work was at work everybody that was on the freeway was lightly commuting you know so there wasn't heavy traffic and otherwise we're driving around mandalay bay you know what i'm saying so it's like we need to get out of <laughs> this part of the 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 strip, and so yeah, they took us down south, away from everything. Like there's a there's a nice stretch in between Mandalay Bay and South Point where there's 
I guess there's resorts, but they're not like big hotels. So there's not a whole lot of like strip traffic. And that's what I was worried about. You know, like we're going to be in traffic in Las Vegas and you can't split lanes. So it's going to suck, you know, but, uh, they found some pretty cool routes, got us out on the freeway, did a couple loops, like, uh, I don't know. It's kind of a whole loop around Vegas, so I guess no matter where you get off, you're heading back toward the Strip in a way. But, um, yeah. yeah, we got on and off the freeway a couple couple few times, and um, it was a good deal. It, it wasn't – it sounded like like yours. You didn't really hit traffic. They they made a well enough route and kind of knew what they were doing to kind of keep you away from, you know, the Strip and traffic and just sitting there. <laughs> so. Yeah. It, it worked out for us. What what uh, what bikes did you test drive? So I took out the uh, the Scout, uh, just the regular Scout, not the Scout sixty two, um, and I took out the Kawasaki Z nine hundred, not the Z nine hundred RS retro one. I wanted to take that one, but I sat on it and I could barely touch the ground tiptoe, wow. and I and I thought, well, that'll be fine. And then even putting my full weight on it, it really didn't compress the uh, suspension. And so it was just kind of tall. I mean, I could tiptoe it, but... What was the uh, was the RS? Was that the the team green one? It it was uh because that's the RS Cafe or I think they're calling it. Um, then it has like the team green and it has like the fairing on the front. And then the reg- okay. the regular RS doesn't have a fairing, but it's that big tank. It's like it looks like a kind of seventies style Z one, you know. And yeah, then- it's got the. And it's got the plusher seat. Yeah. Too. Oh, yeah. 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 It's got like a nice cool seat. It looks really cool, and it looks um, it looks the bit. I love those modern retro. You know the yeah. You know the retro classics or whatever, modern yep. classics. Um, but uh, I went over and s- sat on the Z nine hundred, which is kind of like a sport. You know, you remember the Z one thousand and the Z eight hundred? Well, they got rid of those, and they got this uh, this new Z six and Z nine, which came out. Mm, I want to say just last year. Um, so it's basically like a 900 CC inline four naked sport bike kind of. And, um, so I took that one and that one was perfect. Like my, the seat was perfect height just for me. Um, and I talked to one of the listeners, um, who, uh, always is uh, really, really active with us on Facebook and he had a Z900, and he said, yeah, it was cramped. Like, the seat's low and the pegs are high. And I said, yeah, for me, it was perfect. But even even I felt a little cramped, and I'm only – I'm like the same height as Nock. We actually compared uh, – Nock and I were, did a little comparo at the Indian booth, and we're both somewhere between 5'8 and 5'9, depending on how much water we drank that day and how much, <laughs> how much yoga we did. And uh, so, yeah, it um, – I mean, I'm actually like 4'2", so <laughs> – <laughs> I, shoot i gave away my real height but um it was perfect for me you know what i'm saying like uh it was perfect for me but even when when i feel a little tight i know that bigger riders have to feel you know squashed on that thing and it yeah. and it definitely didn't have a um sporty ride because when i because we they actually took us this was kind of cool on Indians ride, uh, they did kind of sounds like the Vanderhall where they take you out on, they do, we did a couple freeway ons and offs. We mostly stayed away from traffic and we just went out onto the, uh, peripheral streets. And, you know, in Vegas, a block is three miles. You know, you say I'm yeah. walking a block. You really mean like you're walking around the whole casino, the casino owns about three miles for the building and the parking lot. And, uh, 
just going around a casino could take you 15 minutes. Um, so I don't know how they had the, the routes mapped out, but they got us out and away from traffic and on and off. Well, what Kawasaki had the presence of mind to do was take us through this industrial park that had a twisty, um, like with Indian, I feel like it was just kind of a square route. They took us out. We got on the freeway. They took us down a few exits so we could feel, feel it you know, going up and then getting off and break. We got off the freeway, we cut across, we got back on the freeway to come back and then did a couple of side streets, right? So I kind of feel like we did a big square, but we got some streets and freeway in. Well, Kawasaki did the same thing, but then they found, we hooked off onto some weird little side road, which is important that you were saying, like the ride leaders didn't just mosey away from stoplights. They got on it so that we could feel what it was like to you know, how much torque the bike had and how well it rode through the first few gears. And Kawasaki, if you didn't do that, you were screwed because, I mean, there's like a, there's like a tailed rider, you know, that was probably scraping up people that got lost, you know, but if you didn't stay with them, you're kind of out in this weird, like industrial part. So they took us through this windy thing that actually connected back to the strip on the backside and um, I got to lean over pretty good in, in some of the corners. And I was watching the guys in front of us. I went with Nock and Jim and one of the guys named Woody from uh, Climber and Haynes Manuals um, and then some yeah. other guy. Um, and they were leaning and I was like, I'm going to try to lean further than them because I want to, you know, I could see them in front of me and they were just, you know, it wasn't like a high speed corner, but it was enough where they were leaning. And I was like, okay, I can lean further and just see how it feels. And the ergos on that thing were a little cramped. Um, I mean, I could see going fast on it, and I could see, like, maybe commuting on it, but not if you're taller than, like, 5'8", five, 5'9", five, and and uh, just squeezing my knees against the tank felt weird. Like, it felt just – it was that skinny, you know, and that that small – um, not, no wind protection. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, I was like, I don't know if I could commute on the freeway on this thing all the time. Um, if it was like hour, you know, if it was like a two hour each way or an hour each way or something like that. But, um, but definitely a fun, fun bike. And the Indian, on the other hand, I probably could have commuted for six hours, but it was very lackluster to me. It kind of felt like a scooter. Huh. And um, Nock and I both sat on the like the baggers, like it was a dark horse or something like that, or the um, the chieftain or whatever the big because they had a bunch of different size baggers there. And Nock, yeah. I said, Nock, how tall are you? And then that's when 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 he's like, Yeah, I'm like the same size height as you. We figured sitting on the seat, I was like, I'm going to drop this thing because I can't put the I can't reach the uh, the side stand. Like your, my foot was literally all the way extended and my tiptoe was barely tapping the side stand. So I was like, how am I going to get this thing up and how am I going to put it back down? Like, <laughs> so both of us and, and they're forward control. There's no mid controls on those. So all of them are forward control and I hate, you know, forward control. Um, even my, uh, my V-Star 1100 had floorboards that weren't like forward. They were like kind of mid, they were middle between middle, mid and forward. And I, I hated that thing. You know what I'm saying? And, but these were really forward. And so we couldn't even, I couldn't even ride that big bike just because my feet wouldn't even reach all the way up. So the, the regular scout, which had forward controls already was still had the side stand in the middle <laughs> so at least i could put it down when i stopped like i was like i'm gonna have to get off the bike on that other one and walk up to the front and put the side stand down and walk back to the seat it was that that much of a difference so wow. but those things like i said they felt it felt like a scooter to me because it was literally twist and go 
and I, you know, both of the bikes were really smooth on the clutch and really good. And the, the Z900 had like rip getting on the freeway. you you know, you look down and you're doing 80 and I, you don't even, I didn't even yeah. think about it. You know, like if I think I was still in like third gear or something and then, uh, shifted super smooth through all the gears and, and the dash was okay to read where the Indian dash was, um, a little harder for me to read. Cause I didn't exactly understand what was going on. And that's the other thing too. They don't really give you, you know, they know you've ridden before or they ask you if you've ridden before, but they don't give you a chance to check out the controls with the bike on and everything. So when you're going down the street and you look down for the first time at the gauges, that's when you, that's the first time you get to see what's going on. You don't get to sit there and rev it while you're waiting or, or see, or have them explain, Oh yeah, there's no, there's no, uh, tack there or there's no, you know what I'm saying? So there, so, so there was a digital tack on the Indian and then there was like a, um, a digital uh, speedo that was like on the outside of the tack. So the tack just read down in numbers like an odometer almost. Uh, oh. Yeah, it was really weird. And the speedo went up on the outside, like the little the little lines lit up as you went faster. So that was kind of weird. Um, I would have just rather preferred two dials to look at. Or so I, you know, I don't know. I, I could complain about it, but that's just what it is. But um, I and the gear selector, like I don't have none of my bikes have gear indicators, but both of these did. You know, every I think every modern bike pretty much does. So you look down and um, you can see what gear you're in. And so it was funny to in, in the Indian. I didn't even know all the gears felt exactly the same. It had the same amount of torque and pull, which was cool. Because getting on the freeway, um, there were, everybody was in front of me, and I was the last one to go. I was the last one in line both times, and I'm looking to make sure it's okay. And by the time I look, everyone's ripping away. So I just start going after them, and then the lanes merge, and there was a truck next to me. And I was in sixth gear. I didn't know what gear I was in, but I, I looked down, and I'm in sixth as I'm pinning it. And it had the same amount of torque as if I had a dropped a gear and pinned it. Wow. So I was like, you know, like, yeah. yeah. So it just felt like a scooter. It just felt like a twist and go to me. And, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty impressive to have that kind of uh, torque on in sixth gear, you know, that roll on. Yeah, yeah. And we were already moving pretty good. So, I mean, I must have been like in the sweet spot because it didn't bog or anything. You know how sometimes it'll bog, it'll take a little while to get up. You're like, oh, I'm, I'm like two gears too high. But it just kind of rolled on and it just felt like a electric bike or a scooter where you just twist the throttle and you're going faster. So it was, it was interesting, but at the same time, it was... Um, lackluster where the z you know the z900 you give it gas and you're going fast and then you want to go faster you pop another gear and you go and you can hear the exhaust and you can feel it this thing was just kind of like but you know rattling along the whole time yeah Um, and they 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 had that um they had the the flat track bike mm, you know the fdr they had the that they had one on display by all the demo bikes but they didn't have any to ride that would no I, that 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 would have definitely signed up for that because that I mean it looks cool and and to see what they can do with a, a sportier type bike I would have liked to have seen that yeah everybody I mean there was so many people walking by sitting on that thing and and even some of the people that were with um, uh, Chuck from the Wheel Nerds um, his friend was there with them and she. I don't know if she'd had a little bit to drink, but she sat on that thing and I didn't think she was going to get off. And the faces she was making was like a little obscene. I was like, oh man, but everybody was having that reaction. I mean, it did look nice. And I mean, I wanted to revisit what Wiggins and I said about it because definitely after looking at the horsepower rating and the styling of it in person, they are not, they are not competing with Harley uh, with that bike. They're going, 
they're competing more with like Ducati, Monster. Like I think we might have mentioned that, but they're also going for you. You just look at it, and it's like the American Monster. You know what I'm saying? It's a yeah, yeah, I, yeah absolutely. Yeah, and I would say mo- maybe even Moto Guzzi. You know, like because uh, the horsepower is 120, and I know that the monsters are like 140. Um, or closer to 150, but, um, but still not too bad for, you know, a bike that looks like that. And then, um, yeah, I don't know. It was, if uh, I, here's what I said. One of my coworkers was talking with me today and I said, if they had that bike for demo, they would need to have about 50 because everybody would be out there at one time wanting to ride it. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. Did you see they had uh, Travis Pastrana's, uh, bike there too? that he jumped no oh, I, I, oh, I missed that you know, yeah over um, uh what is it caesars or whatever or? yeah 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 they it was yeah. right next to the, it was in that if it was in that booth with the, oh. with, with all that stuff but it was kind of just sitting over to the side like it was sitting on the outside toward the uh the wall and most people were walking down the aisle so you would have had yeah. to be walking around the right angle to see it but yeah the one that he did all the rad uh remakes of evil knievel's harley and triumph jumps yeah. oh, that's, that's cool that's cool <laughs> yeah so what um coming away did you see anything new there that you that you liked or anything that you hadn't seen before that kind of piqued your interest? Well, I, I tried to talk to a lot of the electric guys and, and, and some of the smaller bikes, um, you know, the, the Chinese stuff. And just cause I, um, I think electric is kind of the, you know, that's going to be the next thing and, and everyone's going to have to kind of go that way. And so some of the smaller companies, uh, one of them, was called Nook or Nuke or something, N-U-U-K. I talked to that guy for a while. It's kind of a commuter-looking bike, um, and it it can hold between – well, it's got these big battery packs that are made by Bosch, um, and it uh, and you can add on the batteries, and, and but it's – the battery packs are still pretty traditional-looking. They're, you know, the the big, huge – briefcase looking things but you can it can hold up to four batteries i think two is standard but you can add two more is kind of like in uh, the saddlebag position oh uh, cool um but it, it um that was you know that's just an example it had uh, but it looked decent because it had upside down forks and um and wider tires and a nice digital dis- um, uh, display for the speedo and led light uh, but it it, it kind of had this moped looking thing to it um yeah were they were they white with like black frame uh like uh racks or something all over them yes yeah 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 Yeah, those they they look super cool i like those they look um i saw something i don't know who the the brand is but I i forget by now but um hollywood electrics had a bike similar to that there but a little bit smaller and when i saw that one i was like oh that's a beefy version of that brand that was at hollywood electrics those did look pretty cool like i would like to take those like out on a trail you know yeah yeah and i think they had one uh i picked up a pamphlet from them that's called the tracker and it i mean it's the same frame so it's a little bit low um but it, it had meteor tires on it so it's something that you could do light trails with it you know certainly nothing that you can't couldn't push it even the ground clearance wouldn't be enough to uh, you know try anything too daring yeah it's like fire but, fire roads <laughs> yeah yeah but i i think it's good for everyone you know for for all these companies to try and 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 do something with electric but it it all comes down to how well the 
industry is going to support it and the you know the advances in technology because they're they're just going to have to get more range and quicker charging time so the but the more companies that are out there and and trying to do something with electric the better and you know the the quicker that we'll we'll see some progress there so i i, I tried to talk to some of those guys that, you know just to see what what they're about and you know, get a get a feel for where we're where we're at with with electrics overall. Right, and that's a great point. And and as you were saying that, I was thinking the same thing: is that it's almost it's almost better to be an electric brand now and be unknown because the who knows how much longer the petrol fight is going to be going on, and you're just going to be fighting with like the biggest, you know, the biggest most holdout fish in the pond. You know, so yep. it's almost better to be electric and, and trying to make a name and coming out with something like that, you know, that's kind of catchy. And it looked, I mean, that thing looked fun. Let's be honest. It looked like a rad, just the sheer amount of racks on that thing, too. I just thought, how, what a fun camp bike, like to take around camp or around the farm or something like that. Like, it just looks su- super cool. And um, there's not anything out there like that motorcycle wise. So to be an electric motorcycle company, like coming in, you don't have that sort of competition. You're not fighting with Honda over a new trail bike. You've got your own like crazy style thing, you know, that they don't even have. So that, um, I did see quite a few, uh, brands that are traditionally Chinese brands known for their really cheap knockoffs. Even they had some, uh, electric offerings and some trike offerings, (laughs) So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I, you just we won't see guys like that or, or um, companies like that at IMS. You just won't because they're fighting for floor space with Honda and Triumph and you know stuff like that. And I mean, it's this was a really good place to get up close and personal with a lot of these these brands. And did you see that one weird thing that was like a? Um, I've seen. I actually have seen YouTube videos of it. It's like a weird tracked uh vehicle that's not much bigger than like a podium and it has like uh it almost looks like a stand-up scooter but it's got tracks did you see yeah that? <laughs> yeah i did see that it's like a like a segway with uh, yeah track. yeah there you go yeah. that's a, that's yeah. a better description of it right and i i've seen uh youtube videos of guys like really ripping on those out in the wilderness you know and they look actually pretty fun and then seeing it there in person i was like oh my god how would you even you know i i couldn't even imagine but that was such the crazy thing is that all segments of the power sports industry was there um from that sort of stuff to you know there was a, a company right across from um life Fan, i forget their name but they were camp like backup cameras for your bike that mount i believe like on your dash so that you can see behind you and you can record behind you what's happening you know and all sorts of gadgets all sorts of telecommunication stuff and they even had some really great speakers there that i totally missed out on like i saw lemmy from revzilla walking around didn't you know i wasn't gonna bug him i i I know how these things are and i know on media day it, it even grants you a little more access and then when the public comes in they're just like they can't wait to get to the green room and a beer. So <laughs> I was like not going to bug uh, any of those people. But um, but yeah, we did hook up with um, quite a few podcasts were there. And uh, Liza walking around with her, she just happened to know everybody there pretty much. And uh, a lot of the people that have been on her show were there, um, like Jocelyn. Oh, they, yeah, Jocelyn they, Snow. They brought, did you see? They brought the whole posse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she so many of those so many of the people are up in that area too uh 
And there's a lot of development happening up there and a lot of companies moving, like Harley Davidson's opening a tech center up near Google. Um, and all, and so there's a lot of companies moving their tech segments up north. So she's going to have a lot of exposure to a lot more people. But the Jocelyn Snow um, from the BMW, uh, the rally, the, the GS rally or the GS trophy that uh, she had on her show a couple times, she was there at the Senna booth because Senna was one of her sponsors. So there was actually one of those GS trophy bikes there. So I got to talk to her a little bit and and uh, see what it was all about. And and I don't know, Liza knew so many freaking people there that uh, you'd think that she was like queen of social media, which maybe she is. <laughs> but it was fun hanging out with those turkeys and seeing, you know, doing the test drives with Jim and Nock. Um, and seeing what they were looking for and, and, uh, who they were looking at. And, and, and Liza, surprisingly enough, being part of the, uh, organization side of the women's world relay rally or whatever, the WRWR, the women's yeah, yeah. women riders world rally, I think it is. Uh, she, that's another side of it all. The contacts that she had there, there was just so many women there, which was really nice to see. You know what I'm saying? Like there was, I have Shalina Moreta popped up at one point and, uh, all the women writers that were there in the booths from like icon. Uh, I didn't actually make it over to talk to, um, Amanda from icon, but Wiggins is like, man, I should have sent you over there. <laughs> and, uh, there's, there's quite a few, uh, women and writers and reps around. So it was nice to see, you know, most of them probably knew Liza, <laughs> nice <laughs> hanging out with Liza. But it was nice to see that sort of stuff, you know, uh, at AIM, where you don't really see that that much at IMS, you know. So yeah. it was a, it was a, definitely an interesting show, uh, to say the least. And, and God, so many products. I could have spent four days there and not seen every single product. Uh, yeah, there there was a lot there, and that, there was that whole corner that um, that large Chinese company, uh, they, I mean, they had everything from, uh, replacement like electronic parts to, um, aftermarket handlebars and, and led lights Mm. and, um, spotlights. And I mean, everything auxiliary lights, they, they, and they were, um, they, they had everything, but they were tucked in the corner. And at, at least on the, uh, Saturday when I was there, they weren't getting a whole lot of, uh, foot traffic around there. And, um, but they they had just you know a little bit of everything. Was- yeah, yeah, and I saw. It's funny to see what companies choose to do what. Like there was a lot of there was a couple of companies, one from China, one from Japan, and they both pretty much had the same stuff where it was auxiliary lighting, an auxiliary. Um, well, I don't know what you'd call it, like bar accessories to mount to any tube that's on your bike, basically, you know, and they're like, here's a little carrier that you can mount to your rear tubes if you have them, uh, like frame tubes under the seat or whatever, Here or your handlebar, wherever you have a tube, mount this to it. And it's like, man, like you guys are definitely going for the Harley crowd because they had like Harley handlebars with like eight things, <laughs> like yeah, a cup yeah. holder, phone holder, bandana holder, you know, CB <laughs> holder, all all this crazy stuff. But yeah, and, and lights out the wazoo, like so many different companies that it was almost like walking through a brick and mortar Amazon web page. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a very good description yeah. of it. Yeah, you like just look up uh, automotive and motorcycle department on Amazon, and then poof, that was like walking through it. And yeah, so much stuff there from the guys from Steady Garage were there actually, um, and they were help supporting a racer, which is like uh, electronics kits for Groms and like hop up kits for 
you know, smaller displacement bikes. Yeah, um, yeah. We yeah. walked through there. Okay, yeah. And the Goonies crew was there. Uh, yeah. Actually got an interview with them that's going to be coming up here pretty soon. Um, and, yeah, I mean, just so many from from small bikes to big bikes. And Benelli was there. Uh, and SSR was there. And they were given test rides. And that's one I missed out on. I really wish I would have done a test ride on the SSRs and the Benelli's because they looked so cool. They had like, uh, I know SSR is pretty much a Chinese company, um, but they bought Benelli, I believe, or the name. Yeah, they either bought them or they bought the rights to the name and continued the Benelli line or something like that. Uh, I I remember reading about it a little bit ago and um, I was kind of unclear because Benelli has been making like 300s, I think, but maybe they're been making them with Chinese parts. I have no idea, but all I know is that SSR now has them and they were there and the guys from the NOCO uh, Moto podcast went out on the 300, I guess it was, and just said that it was awesome, like a pretty ripping little, little bike. And Benelli, you know, back in the day was known for really cool, they had trail bikes and they had um, some really cool street bikes and they were rippers, you know? And uh, I think now they're making 400 as, and under scooters and uh, motorcycles and he said it was pretty awesome and the ssr line is basically like a chinese um i believe they're from china um they got some rad looking they look like little v uh they're v twins they look like moto guzzi's you know like they're little like cafe racer looking uh and scrambler looking they're just small displacement fun they look like something that you would have bought right out of the showroom in 1970 or early 80 you know what i'm saying yeah like they're really really cool little bikes but uh v-twin instead of a post-twin but they look just like you took a v7 stone and then slapped a little 250 v-twin it's so cool (laughs) but um yeah those ones i really regret not getting a chance to ride everybody else there uh, I'm okay with not riding. I know I'll get a chance to ride them uh, later. And also, who hasn't ridden, you know, a CBR? Yeah, <laughs> you know, like everybody's got Jixers and CBRs. So, and, and uh, even the Yamahas, I didn't ride them. I rode the, I rode them when they were the FZ, and now that they're the MT, there's not really any changes. So, right, but right. um, but yeah, so it was a cool event, and I don't know. I, I walked away with there with the new found respect for some of these uh, Chinese manufacturers and actually well, I walked, and I walked away with a, a whole lot of swag too I, I, I have about two dozen keychains and- <laughs> <laughs> yeah they gave you a nice bag to fill up yeah I, yeah and when I was there they were, during media day they kind of look at you like don't take my swag because this is for the you know the regular customers <laughs> so yeah on media day typically at IMS and at these type of shows, you don't get swag because they they want to save it for, uh, you know, everybody else is going to be coming in to, to actually check them out on, yeah. on the show days. But there, I, I did get a chance to talk to, um, have you ever heard of Ice Bear before? No, I haven't. Okay. Ice Bear is um, th- the same company. This, this company I talked to is called Boom. And when I'm looking at their uh, uh, their literature, it didn't say boom. It was really it's really hard for me to pronounce, and I couldn't even. I asked the lady. It's Baudiao. Wait, it's B A O D I A O. 
Bao Diao or something like that. And she said, yeah, it's really hard to say, so we're changing it to boom. <laughs> and I said, okay, that makes a lot more a lot more sense. And she's like, you know, basically we're Ice Bear. And I said, I've never heard of Ice Bear, but um, I did look them up. And they've got some really killer-looking sport bikes, but they also have like a uh, – I, I don't know how they get away with this, but it looks just like a, um, a ruckus. And they have another one that looks just like the Zuma, um, both the 125 and the, I think the Zumas are 125 and a 50. Uh, you know, they, it looks just like you took the plastics off of a Zuma and stuck a Chinese motor in it. It's so weird. I don't know how they get away with the, the copyright huh. from that. But they also had a, a Grom uh, that looked exactly like a Grom. Um, and I don't know how they got away with that either. Like, I don't know what, how much percentage of a vehicle you can have look like a competitor's and not get copyright infringement. But they do have a pretty sick-looking uh, 250S and a 258. And they both look like – one looks like a CBR, one looks like the R3. And then they have the 252 and the 256, which the 256 looks like a uh, – uh, pretty much looks like a um, – Yamaha R3 to me, and the 252 kind of looks like a little tiny um, SV650. So I don't know how they get away with like uh, she said. Oh yes, we you know we have stuff in the style of the very popular models, and I was like, dude, you're basically ripping off. <laughs> like, where, where where are they from? They're Chinese, and she's and they're in. They're actually this is gonna trip you out. I talked to several. Chinese manufacturers while I was there because I wanted to get the story on, you know, the business and what you, what we were talking about the elect, electric vehicles, uh, maybe being a better route to go because these smaller Chinese brands that are are basically like the low cost alternative to one of the major brands. What is their actually? What are their expectations? You know what I'm saying? Like, what are they actually? think they're going to get and what do you think they're actually going to get and yeah. and and all of them i talked to three different ones all of them mentioned the tariffs right now uh you know like with the tariffs and oh the customer's not going to see any extra price because of the tariffs but right now we're in a huge trade war with china and uh or in a tariff war with the eu basically and they can't come in from any angle because they're getting tariffs from if they try to ship a knockdown kit they're still getting tariffs if they try to send it through a european distributor they're still getting tariffs so they're kind yeah. of screwed and it was an it, that was the most interesting part of the conversation i was having with them because they're like uh yeah we're trying to penetrate the market just a little bit and all these other manufacturers have x amount of years like 50 years on us you know and so we're very well known and in china we sell and in Asia in general, we sell, we may sell like 3 million motorcycles a year where, you know, Harley Davidson sells like 186,000. Like we sell, they're a drop to us, but that's because here in the States we sell, you know, 10,000 or something like that. So yeah. these guys are coming from a worldwide market trying to penetrate a saturated American market. And so I don't know what their expectations were, but the boom, I do have to say that their sport bikes and stuff look really cool, and she, and the lady was telling me that basically they were Ice Bear, and I looked up Ice Bear, and Ice Bear had uh, 
pretty much had a reputation for being the low cost alternative to a lot of other scooters like Vespas and, and Piaggio's. And now they're branching out into motorcycles, but they're, they're Grom. Uh, you know how the Grom has like an exposed steel frame on part of yeah. it. I got to yeah. say that kind of looks like I went down to industrial metal supply and bought a bunch of tubing and kind of welded it in my, like it didn't look light at all. It looked like it probably weighed as much as like a 600 CC. Um, and basically they were kind of, it looked like a Harbor freight motorcycle. Like I'm not going to be, <laughs> that's my opinion of it. And I'm not saying that the the fit and finish on all of them were like that, but it definitely looked a little heavy and rough and where as i went over later to the life fan booth and uh actually did a a nice interview um both both um companies are based here in ontario which is not just basically in between me and you yeah and um come to find out there's a bunch of them based out there and uh life fan Actually, is a, I've heard a lot of people having their Honda motors crap out, so they'll go get a Life Fan. It's basically, um, in my opinion, I'm going to say that uh, to me, a Life Fan seems like a, or a Lefon. Actually, I found out the right way to pronounce it this weekend, too. Uh, the Lefons look like a Honda clone, and as a matter of fact, they sell probably the most uh, popular motors they sell a ton of motors because the janus has a uh, lefon in it and a lot of other chinese um and american bikes like you know the janus is made here in america but the motor is chinese it's a it's a lefon and i know a lot of other guys like johnny pag used to do that johnny pag would make these like little chopper super budget-minded choppers but use yeah. uh, Lefon motors in them. And so they sell a heck of a lot of motors to other companies and that's how good they are. They're almost – they have almost the same reputation as like Zongshen who makes like the uh, the CSC bikes. Yeah. Um, and Zongshen's a huge company. And so Lefon is a big um, – motor company and they they're like honda clones kind of you know i said that and i got the no-no so i can't say (laughs) i can't say that they're honda clones because i was actually set straight they are actually individually um built and they are not in fact a a direct clone of honda they have a lot of individual parts but um they work just like a honda they'll fit a lot of stuff that (laughs) won't fit a honda let's just put it that way and so a lot of people will drop them in old dirt bikes that they have and they want to just get it up and running and sometimes you can't find that old Honda part and a Lafon motor is just as cheap. So they'll throw it in there. Come to find out they have their own brand of motorcycles. And so when I'm looking at these boom ones, and again, this is just my opinion, but they look like a Harbor Freight, like you could walk into Harbor Freight and they'd be there. Like they're not crappy, crappy quality, like somebody made them in their garage or something, but also the welds look rough and they look like they're made out of like dense steel uh dense wall steel tubing you know like super thick yeah. wall you go yeah. over, you go over to lafon and they actually look awesome so i uh, got an interview with that guy uh and again the tariffs was a big um a big issue but nothing that they're saying the customers are going to see and these things are like both companies and all the companies there uh, their bikes come in so much cheaper than the regular you know hondas yamahas kawasaki's so on and so forth um and so they were saying over the years china the manufacturing processes have got a lot better and these bikes are now making uh significant headways 
into these other markets where in Asia they're king, you know, they're king over there because the price point. And um, a lot of the bikes that we get here and that Europe gets, they don't sell in Asia. Honda has their own stuff that sells in Asia because they know what Asian market will support, you know. So they don't try yep. to sell them a bunch of uh, gold wings and stuff like that. Yeah, like The Honda Hero. Yeah, there you go. And you can attest, you have sent me multiple pictures from parts of Asia and India and places that you visited where there's like 12 people on a 125, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, they they must have super duty uh, suspension on those yeah. things. I mean, it's so funny because they, you they can those those Honda Heroes and and Suzuki has a brand out there, and, and then there's of course you know some other random brands, and and Royal Enfield is pretty big. Um, but one thing that amazes me is the, the suspension because they they've got a ride. It could be one guy that weighs eighty pounds, or his entire family that you're up to you know, probably close to 300 pounds and yet they, you know, they, they still handle it. Same bike. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and yeah, and you, you've sent me pictures of each little place, how they have their own style too. And it makes me wonder what's the first upgrade they do. Do the, you know, do they bother with suspension or do they go with like a more comfy seat? <laughs> like I wonder what their first, what their first priority is. <laughs> uh, it, it's usually the, um, they, well, a lot of people they have, uh, they'll have one saddle bag on, uh, on the right hand side, because uh, a lot of times the, um, the girl will sit side saddle behind them. So, right. um, so if they have a saddle, but after that, then there's, we, I don't know, just weird, um, uh, decorations they put on them. They're not as crazy as the the trucks that are out there. Those are decked out with right. crazy paint and 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 things hanging off the mirrors and and down the windows and everything. But the the bikes they they deck out a little bit. They they wrap up the roll bars and and things like that. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. I would love to see something like that. Just just somebody that's been around the world have like a booth at one of these things to show you like. Man, this is what's cap- this is what's possible over here. We, you know, think we have to pay thirty thousand dollars for two people to ride on a thing, but over there, here's you know six hundred dollars and eight people ride it to work everywhere, and and a yeah, cow. You know, the yeah. husband drops the family off and then brings a sheep home or a cow home. Because I've seen I've seen them bring livestock on those things before. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I, um, I, I've I've seen once I saw a guy with um, a, a sheep or a goat or something that um, that he had. Um, he had it in front of him, uh, laying over the tank. Um, I, I didn't see him driving, but I, he was just sitting on the side of the road and he had his, uh, the animals like just propped up while he was talking to someone else. <laughs> but, yeah. It, it, crazy stuff. Yeah. That's too awesome. Um, yeah, I, I would love to see something like that. Like show us what's really possible. Like use one of the, one of these expos to kind of showcase how, um, ridiculous <laughs> some of the stuff is that we expect over here but yeah. uh there, there was a guy there um well not not that it was a small bike but there was a guy i talked to he he was from ecuador freedom bike rental i have his pamphlet here and one of the you know they offer um tours at, at locations around the world and stuff um so but you know it's all adventure bike type stuff but um but it's just neat to see someone that's been out to different areas and and rode around and um right you know what you know what's funny i follow those guys on twitter and i have for yeah i've followed them for maybe three years now 
And remember that there was that huge earthquake down there, I want to say two years ago or something? Yeah. And uh, they were, I think some of those guys were trying to uh, ride supplies out to help victims because they couldn't make it there uh, until like the Navy or something could get some choppers out there. I think these guys were getting on their dirt bikes and going out and trying to see if they could help people. Uh, in super rural areas where dirt bikes was oh, the only wow. thing you get through. Yeah, that was yeah, that's that, fantastic. Yeah, and it's stuff like that that you'll see at AIM that you wouldn't see at IMS. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like all that stuff that was there was was pretty fantastic. I have to say, um, and. I don't know. Anything that really stood out, I can't say because there was so much stuff there. It was just like too much. You know what I'm saying? I don't, there was no one showstopper to me that, um, except for how many, uh, brands of stuff there are out there that I have no, would have zero clue because you, I never see them at the stuff I go to. It takes something like aim for <laughs> to know. I mean, they literally had their directory had like over like 2000, uh, stall numbers, I think, in it. So I was wow. like, "Oh my god, yeah!" It was it was crazy. I I can't find it right at this moment, but uh, I have it laying around, and I forget. There was just like pages and pages of of uh, who's in this stall, who's in this stall, and I remember because Steady was in like four thousand something or two. Maybe they were in two thousand six hundred something, and uh, they were like mid pack, you know. And I was like, "Wow, there's still more, more." Uh, went up to like four thousand, all the numbers down at the other end, but. Size wise, that was pretty huge. Um, yeah, yeah. kind of, and, and, and it was nice to see that it was a very high percentage of, of moto oriented stuff. I, they, you know, I got uh, accosted by one guy that was trying to sell me a an iPhone case for ten minutes. You know, so that, that's not what I'm there for. <laughs> right, that's weird. But, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Most of it, most of it's. Uh, I, I did see a couple things here and there, you know, or your bandana or your iPhone case or whatever. But yeah, most of it was pretty, pretty moto related. Um, <clears throat> pardon me, a lot of big companies and AIM actually uh, kind of, um, I read Power Sports business news for, uh, you know, just industry news, insider stuff. And it's like a super sort of pedestrian insider mag you know it's kind of funny yeah. but they mentioned a lot of stuff there at aim and i forgot that aim aim is really part of mic which is the motorcycle industry council which tracks sales numbers business um you know they they track the industry like ims does not really track the industry ims is a show for deal or you're not dealerships but but uh manufacturers to show their stuff but yeah. aim being part of the mic i mean they're really they're tracking the industry they're they're taking notes on business inside scoops like who's the new ceo of this and uh how to they're giving seminars on how to increase your productivity or drive a good sales team and i mean they're doing they weren't they're not just for you to go there and look at the new bikes and hear about the new product from this manufacturer they were they're there to help business so i i never really gave aim much thought back when all the wheel nerds guys and and the uh, cafe racer podcast would talk about it all the time but seeing it in person and then thinking about it from a business perspective and how important the industry is um you know and how how important it is for them to know the stuff that that uh they track. I just, it kind, kind of gave me a new perspective and, uh, I'm glad I went because it is definitely different than IMS. 
And um, I don't know. I, I felt like it was a little bit more uh, product heavy, I guess, instead of like motorcycle heavy. But at the, yeah, s- yeah. At the same time, I feel like I, w- I never would have known half of that stuff had I not gone because those little guys don't get the uh, the airtime or the space or it probably yeah, I, costs a hell of a lot to do an IMS or something like that. I don't know how much it costs them, you know? Yeah, but I, I have to imagine, like, since you mentioned it, that a place like the I, or the the show or the you know the um, uh, the, the IMS show, even at the as it travels around, it it's probably going to be driven more by who's willing to pay for floor space and um, and you know that's how they get their foot in the door. Whereas AIM Expo. It, um, since they're uh, an arm of the um, uh, of the inter- uh, the IM was it the, I- the MIC I- MIC it they they can kind of use that to uh, or use their their knowledge to to deliver what is going to be more beneficial to the show and then of course they use the feedback from the show to see what. Or to try and figure out what direction the industry is going or not the industry, but, um, consumers. And, you know, I mean, the industry is there to, to provide for the consumer. So you got to see what people want. It's no, no sense making something if no one's there to buy it. So it's, it's interesting to, to think that they could be using that to, um, not only to display what's coming, but also get the feedback to see, you know, uh, what's, what, what direction they should go. Yeah. And I think that that kind of represented what type of media was there because you see the media people that are there is people like Revzilla is a lot of podcasts. There was a lot of YouTubers, um, stuff like that where I feel like IMS is more, uh, press magazine you know it is the press it is what you want to read the specs in and this and that and that's basically what they're giving you where yeah i get that's a great point um the the type of media that was there was there to cover the industry as a whole not just the part of it that has the new bikes or whatever you know what i'm saying and yeah. not just yeah. what what's new that's coming out and i did think it was interesting that kawasaki decided to drop uh their new bikes there rather than at ims and yeah. uh, kind of an indicator. I mean, I know the FTR twelve hundred also made its debut in Intermont or whatever, but um, the fact that they had it there too shows that AIM is probably just as important to the industry, if not more, than IMS because uh, they're the new kids on the block. They got all these people coming to see other stuff, but then you get to see the the manufacturers too, and. At, I, at IMS, basically, you're just there to see the manufacturers that have paid or that are, you know, somehow like got in there. IMS still does the cool stuff like the vintage uh, racing and the JMP Cycles custom show. I'm not, you know, I'm not switching from I used to not like AIM and now I love AIM and I hate IMS, but they're they're different. I think you need them both, yeah. you know. And I def- yeah, absolutely. I definitely wouldn't have got that perspective if I hadn't gone uh, this past weekend. But um, hey, man, we're rolling up on an hour here. I don't want to. Yeah, flew by. I, I, yeah, I don't want to keep you too late. But uh, any last impressions of AIM? Would you go next year? Yeah, I'm. I'm going to go next year. And it, you know, it's it's nice that it's not too far. It's it's close enough where we can make a just an overnighter out of it. It's not quite as close as Long Beach, but but still, it's close. It's close enough. And yeah, 
Yeah, and it's nice to to get out there. It's um, I, I've been through Vegas so many times. We we go back and forth to Utah every year, but you never really get a chance to to stop in there. And you know, it's fun. It, you know, we went to see a comedian at night, and you know, went to a <laughs> bunch of nice restaurants. So we we made a an event out of it. So yeah. it's, it, it's a great excuse to get out there. And and uh, I. I I think I probably enjoyed the AIM Expo a little bit more than my wife, but um, uh, but we, we got to do a few things that she liked to do too. So it all worked out in the end. Nice. And I hope, I'd, I'd not 100% confirm, but I hope they bring it back to Vegas this year and I hope that they realize how close the proximity to California and the actual motorcycle headquarters are. And yeah. Uh, the fact that like the there's a reason why the consumer electronics showcase and the porn industry <laughs> awards all happen in that same building it's <laughs> it's closeness you know so there's you you have a better audience there than in Cleveland or Columbus or wherever it was before in Florida so yeah and Florida like is having a hurricane right now so who wants to have aim during a hurricane you know what I'm saying I think that yeah, ha- no I, I think that happened to them one year so <laughs> oh wow but um but yeah if it's if it's in Vegas next year, uh, we'll definitely go. Maybe we'll get a creative writing crew together and go and try to do what the other guys did, which is drink a lot, swear a lot and win some money. (laughs) All right. Well, Hey, I think, uh, that's going to wrap it up on our aim segment and, uh, we'll take a quick break and be right back. When I was a kid, my friends all pronounced it Sam Hain. They didn't speak Gaelic, so they didn't know it's pronounced Sawin. In Welsh, it's Nos Kalangeav. The English, they called it Halloween, or All Hallows' Eve. And actually, that was probably from the Catholics, who went so far as to name the next day All Souls' Day. But we know what it is. It's the time of the year when the nights devour the day. Darkness becomes longer than light. And it's the time of the year when the spirits from the other side of the world from the world of darkness the underworld their portals open to our side it was the middle of winter late at night driving around town with some friends looking for a place to hang out like typical delinquent kids do within about 10 feet of backing up we noticed a clear set of footprints, deep tread marks in the fresh snow, walking right up the middle of our car tracks, leading directly under the car and up to the mill. They were separate from our footprints and led around the side of the mill where we hadn't been. The footprints definitely weren't there when we pulled in. It was pretty freaky, so we just got the hell out of there ASAP. There's a place up here called Holy Hill. It's a huge, beautiful, twin-steeple church built on top of the biggest hill in the area. Yes, what watches you from there? Uh, the feeling that there is something just off the road watching us. Blowing leaves and crackling branches is all that breaks the night silence. I once worked at a hotel in San Diego. I worked the overnight shift. And I had a key, like a master key, so I went in the room. And then so I stopped and I was super still. And across the room, I saw what I thought was like a silhouette. 
so I called out a name of the security guards thinking it was him. Um, I don't think there's a person there. Cry out creatures from the night. Wicked beasts soul take flight. And I look to my left and I seen what I can only describe as an inhumanly large owl. Looked up in the tree where, the, where I had seen the owl. But at this point, the owl had gone. In its place was a raven. Blacker than I've ever seen a bird. Even to this day, all these years later. A black that almost seemed to drink in the light when it hit it. Now, if I hadn't looked up and if I hadn't seen that owl, raven, whatever it was, I would have went straight into the river. Halloween. Candy-ass kids wanting candy from my ass. <laughs> so I'm out here at uh, Bray Road, where supposedly the beast of Bray Road lives. And uh, I'm going to go uh, see if I can find a werewolf. And I even brought my werewolf bait. I'm in the middle of effing nowhere on a haunted road looking for a werewolf. What else would you do? Motherfucker's got my beef stick! He's got my beef stick! Spooky Spokes happens October 26, 2018. Make sure you email your submissions to creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com. Are you ready? By the way, that's a nice shirt. (laughs) All right, all right, everybody. Ooh, quite scary there with the uh, spooky spokes. Uh, wrap up. Hey, listen, um, to cover a few facts here that we were talking with, with BV there. Um, I don't think that aim is going to be coming back to, um, Las Vegas for next year. At least I think that they even mentioned this a couple of years ago when they left Columbus, that they're going to go back to Columbus, Ohio. The feeling is that, uh, dealers won't have to ship their products all over from either one extreme or the other, from Florida or to uh, Las Vegas, they can kind of meet in the middle of the country. And so therefore, everybody kind of goes uh, within like a 500-mile range. And if you're going to either side of the country, you're you're traveling quite a bit just to get there. So I think it's going to go back to Columbus next year for sure. And I think that was already predetermined. But I think if they have their wits about them, if they realize what's good for them and uh, – you know, they realize the same thing as the consumer electronics showcase and the porn industry. Vegas is the place to be, baby. And um, definitely, I think a lot more people will enjoy themselves in Vegas and doing test rides in September and October than they will in Columbus, Ohio. So <laughs> we'll have to see. We'll have to see. But um, at any rate, uh, yeah, great, great show um, coverage by Bry Viffer. Thank you so much for heading out there. I mean, I think they were kind of heading out there anyway, or at least that sealed the deal for them. Um, and next year, uh, I won't be going if it's in Columbus, but I can tell you what, I'm still looking forward to IMS this year, and I'm still looking forward to some of these interviews that we're going to have coming up in the next hour. Uh, let's wrap up some stuff. Um, spooky spokes. I put it out there. I just told you in the little promo there that it's going to be October 
26th. However, I realize a lot of people in uh, Wisconsin and in the Midwest in general, and even some places on the, the East Coast that are getting bombarded with uh, hurricanes and stuff like that right now and just crazy inclement weather, um, even people in like Australia and other countries that listen to us that may want to get a spooky spoke in and basically don't have a, a good time to ride right now in Australia, it's probably 3000 degrees In other countries, you're probably too busy having hurricanes and earthquakes and all sorts of crazy stuff happening right now. And once you know it, it is spooky spoke time. So that's perfect time for that to happen. Have you had a spooky encounter? And what do you think about moving it to the first Friday after Halloween, which I think is going to be November 2nd? Give me your input. Go to our Facebook page um, or maybe tag us in a post um, on Instagram where we have both little flyers set up. And let me know what you think. Uh, Facebook and Instagram both are Creative Writing Podcast. Uh, Just check that out and you'll find us at either place. And give us your feedback. If you do have a spooky spoke and you want to know where to send it, do a little voice recording on your phone. As soon as you're done, hit the send button. Send it to creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com. And that'll link it right to us. We'll use your voice, your tale set in your cadence and tone. And is it was it spooky? Did you hear some of those stories that people sent in from uh, years past? This is only the third spooky spoke. Let's blow it out of the water this year. You know what I'm saying? So it's either going to be October 26th or I'm probably going to extend it to November 2nd because people can't get out and ride right now. Just too too crazy. Uh, some other stuff I wanted to mention was we had some racing news on last week's show. Of course, the flat track season wrapping up, uh, the ISDE and all those crazy things had concluded as well. I got a little insider information because the WIR top 10 uh, list had concluded as well. And just in the nick of time, because from what I understand, uh, Wisconsin's about to wash away as well. And I've seen some of the crazy um well, rain and, and whatnot that they've been experiencing there. But I did get a text from one Mr. Singsheim regarding their strategy. There's a lot of strategy that went into this last race, and uh, I want to cover that right now. So Waukesha's, or Waukesha, if you want to pronounce it like a dum-dum, Waukesha's own Nitrous Chris Singsheim filled us in on a little bit of the last round of the WIR race that went down there at uh, Okefenokee Raceway in the swamps of Wisconsin. Um, He says, this is a direct from his text, uh, I forgot to give you the lowdown on the last WIR race, and here's how it went down. You know that Chris Singsheim came in second, Michelle came in third, and a fellow that we've never heard of came in first. How could this happen against our own champs? Well, listen to this. At the beginning of the night, I was testing, and I kept red lighting. I was stumped as to why. Well, anyway, I was going to have to win every round that night and get the reaction time bonus. Uh, check out the rules if you are wondering what all this is about. Um, and so, and that was just a tie Eric for first, in which case would be a split of first and second place money. I had a buy run for the first round and I had to race Michelle for the second round and Eric had the third round. So Michelle, however, was super close to points with Dustin Durant. And if I beat her on the second round, he would catch and or pass her for third place, being Dustin. So after I went red on my buy run, still super confused, I decided I was going to go red against Michelle, giving her one point to stay in third place. And then we figured I was red lighting because the tree was set up to half a second, 0.500, instead of 0.400 like normal. Basically, the tree was a hundredth, well, or one 
hundredths, one-tenths so, um, to go to the green, and I was reacting like normal. It was that slow. So in the end, we decided that second and third place money was worth more than splitting first and second place money with nothing for Michelle. So still, we had a lot of fun. We had super strategic ideas. I lost my race to Eric due to a broken clutch fiber, but he's really a nice guy, so it's okay. So if you didn't get all that, which is still a little confusing on, on some hands, he decided since he was red lighting and he was red lighting, this guy is dialed, man. He's, they don't call him Nitrous Chris for nothing. Well, they do because he has nitrous on his bike, but that's, you know, I mean, whatever. Anyway, he is so dialed that he's red lighting for 0. 0.100, you know, of a, of a second, you know what I'm saying? So he's, he's got his lights dialed in and his reaction time is dialed in and they get a point for every reaction time when they get. And so that also contributes to the, the, um, the points toward the end, he may, who knows, he, if he had done, if he had won every race that night and done real well, maybe he could have edged out first place by like a couple points. But Michelle, rather than slipping into fourth to the grimy and greasy hands of Dustin Durant, played a little strategy game with Chris where he decided purposefully, it's, it's like watching um, Supercross and seeing a team rider wave another team rider by. If you didn't know all that controversy, uh, go check out Pit Pass Moto Radio. They talk uh, to a couple people about it. And uh, you can probably listen to Main Event Moto also. There's, there's a lot of stuff like that that happens, used to happen in MotoGP and all this and that, really does, has been happening in supercross where people will wave other people by so that they can they're already ahead in points you know what i'm saying well they're behind in the race but they are going to lose the race and lose all the points they've accumulated you let them go by so that was his strategy with michelle rather than going for the glory and winning the chris Singsheim, uh what he already knows he could have won help michelle out by going red against her too and why not if your reaction time's already dialed in and you don't want people to think you're sandbagging you're gonna red light again right and it'll just look like it was part of the night so he does that michelle stays in uh, third place and they split second and third money rather than just taking home a little bit of uh, second place money and leaving michelle out in the cold literally since it's uh october there in wisconsin and by the way guys i don't want to brag but it has been in the 80s here we've had some really crazy santa Ana wins i don't know if i talked about it on uh no it hadn't happened yet during last episode but we had a crazy power outage lots of stuff blew over you know you heard me and brave ever talking a little bit about it and uh we're getting winds from the desert so it's been windy as all heck but the the weather's still been up in the 80s so i'm sorry for all you guys where it's been raining um go cry me a river literally you probably literally could just cry into the river it's probably overflowing right now but at any rate i'm sad for everybody whose riding season is coming to an end it is october um i'm not going to really brag about the weather here and uh i'm going to just say oh man it's been windy and rainy and miserable it's snowing here in socal just so we can feel like we're part of the moto family and for those of you over in australia i will brag yes it's not too hot to ride still and um I know some of you guys over there and gals over there are uh, trying to seek some shade already because it's uh, some. If, if I'm right, it's summer over there. And also a big shout out to one of our favorite Australians, uh, Daily Biker Dan. He's going through a triple. Um, what did he have? He had a triple hernia, so he won't be on his bikes for a little while. And if you know Dan, he loves to ride every day. Um, and. Uh, so big, big shout out to Dan and hopes that you get well, buddy. And I hope you hear this and know that we're thinking about you with your triple hernia over there. All right, let's get on to uh, some of the interviews we did for AIM after uh, take a quick, quick break. 
What's the matter? You can't trust that pickle as far as you can throw it? Well, now with Klopman's, kosher dills have never tasted more fresh. Yes, made of 100% kosher dill in their own secret recipe brine, Klopman's will give you the energy you need to get out there and ride it like you stole it. Klopman's, the official pickle of motorcyclists everywhere. All right, all right. I'd like to thank Klobman's Pickles for uh, sponsoring last week's show at the Mother Klobman's Flat Track Hour. This is a bummer, folks, because this is like the fourth time I've recorded through this. And uh, my software, I don't know what's going on. I mentioned it once. I'm going to use the Patreon money that comes in next month to upgrade this computer or get a goddamn new one because this GD thing has put me out in the cold four times now including ruining the whole last half of the show that I just had already edited and was about to publish to uh, the web long story short there are a few people that I want to thank and we don't really have current events we have some interviews from AIM that are coming up next I did want to say to all the ladies riding out to Babes Ride Out 6 be careful, please. We're having some Santa Ana winds. God, it feels like deja vu, deja vu of deja vu because I've said this a few times. We're having some Santa Ana winds right now, which is winds blowing from the desert toward the coast. So the temperatures here on the other side of the hill is still heating up, even though the desert is, uh, you know, on the other side of the mountains. The winds are blowing over, so the deserts are going to be hot. Stay hydrated, ladies. And uh, beer is not hydration. You, for every beer you drink, you should drink be drinking a glass of water. I don't want any of you to come back with hair that looks like straw or puckered up grandma lips and be all mad because you didn't stay hydrated. So stay hydrated, stay safe, ride safe. And um, what else? The Halloween Spooktacular put on by our friends at Ramming Speed Racing. I made a little joke about me and Wiggins. Wiggins right now is preparing an XB9. He's probably going to be racing it out there. Him and his buddy uh, Juan, I believe, are going out there. The guys, they gave us an interview from earlier in the year when they went. All the best of luck to you, Wigs. I'm so sorry I'm not out there supporting you and watching you ride this new bike. There's a whole ton of stuff that's been going on this week. It's been crazy for me. And uh, I'm sorry the show is going to be late. Uh, Everything else has been late this week for me, so it's just par for the course. All right, everybody. Having said that, let's get into our very, very important AIM Expo interviews. I hope you turn, turn you on to maybe not a few new products, but a few new people that you hadn't heard of before and some new ideas and ways of thinking about motorcycles, motorcycling, what's out there, whatnot. And have a great weekend. Let's get into these. uh, Let's get into these interviews. All right, everybody, we are here at uh, AIM Expo 2018. I've been cruising around, been seeing a lot of good stuff, but I stumbled across something that uh, I think is really amazing. And looking around at their products, I had to stop and talk to somebody. So I'm here at the booth for, I've always said Life Fan, but it's LeFon, and I'm here with their uh, sales and marketing manager. Yeah. Hi, I'm Mike Turber, Director of Sales and Marketing for American LeFon. Excellent. And I was looking around, the motorcycles that you have on the floor, I, we, were, we were talking a little bit. I've seen LeFan Le motors in lots of stuff. 
didn't know you guys actually had a lot of motorcycles. What are you guys doing making such great looking bikes? Well, the cool thing about Lafon is in 1992, we started off as a service repair facility in Chongqing, China. Uh, very quickly grew from that to start manufacturing motorcycles there, and now we're one of the largest uh, manufacturers of motorcycles in the world. Excellent. And about how many motorcycles do you make a year? Uh, in the last year, we averaged probably about 1.4 million motorcycles. Four million engines, 1.4 million motorcycles. Good grief. I mean, that puts that puts some companies to shame. Even uh, some big names, you know, don't even uh, put out numbers like that. Um, so I'm looking around at the stuff you got. Leaf- uh, LeFan, I've seen in Janus motorcycles, uh, the engines, and a lot of the stuff I've seen was 150s. But some of the bikes that you have here, uh, I mean, you've got some V-twins, you've got some right. really cool singles, and you've got a smaller bike that um, will it rivals a motorcycle that rhymes with the Blom, let's say. <laughs> but yours has a little bit different characteristics. Can we yeah. talk about the motors and then talk about some of the models? Sure. On the uh, As far as the 150 Mini, um, in comparison with the other brand that we're referring to, uh, you're looking at 12.3 horsepower versus around 9 horsepower. You're looking at five gears versus four. You know, so you, you, you ever been riding down the road and you're in a bike that has four speeds and, and you get up and it's winding out and, you, and your, your foot is just ready to go to the next gear and it never seems to get there? That has that gear, so you're, you're good to go there. But it, it's a very similar as far as the design. A lot of bikes have come out like that, uh, but ours is a 150 versus 125. So you got the 12.3 versus 9 and so forth. So it's you get a little bit more for the money, and you're $1,000 less. Right. Yeah, and you've got actually, I've noticed this. I was talking to an editor from a, a manuals company outside earlier today, and we were talking about these budget models. They're $1,000 less than a major Japanese manufacturer. How do you how do you do that? I mean, they're they're awesome looking. What is, you know, why wouldn't somebody come as far as a price point and check these things out? Well, the thing is, is uh, the, it's brand building um, over time. I mean, they've you got a fifty year head start on us. Uh, so what what China is doing is they're essentially doing similar things that were done in Japan. You know, keep in mind in the early nineteen hundreds there were maybe fifty different manufacturers in the United States. Now, how many do we have? Okay. Then if you look at Japan, same thing. In the early 50s, they had the same thing. And now look at how many we have. Maybe, what, four? So now if you look at China, China maybe 10 years ago had roughly 100 different manufacturers. Now it's, we're weeding through the good ones and so forth. And what's going to be left is your larger manufacturers that have the financial backing and also have the quality of the products. And the quality of products that we have is, is world-renowned. Uh, Lafon is in 116 different countries around the world, real famous outside of the United States. And now what they're doing is they're bringing all that knowledge and know-how and the quality and the service and everything here. And that's what we're doing. So that's what you see reflected here today. Yeah, and you guys, you've got everything from sport bikes, minis, off, you know, ADV bikes. Uh, you got a beautiful-looking cafe race over here that oh, just— that's awesome. Uh, is that the, the KP Master? That there is, yeah, the KP Master. That We'll probably have a name change for that one for the United States market, but this is this is, uh, this is actual production. So this isn't prototype or anything like that. This is what's going to go into production. And that model is just absolutely gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous model. And so it's a 200cc uh, bike. Um, it's the same engine that goes in our KPR racing series. So the same bike that we have over here as far as the motor is concerned is a high-quality engine, balanced. And of the last 18 CRRC championships in China, we won 17. And we dominate that, that market with that engine. That engine is just absolutely a superb engine. 
Um, and this, the reason why it's a two, people hear 200 and they're thinking, well, why don't you make it 250? Because our 200 beats the 250s. So we have the 250 V-Twin right here, which is just a beautiful engine. Yeah, this thing is awesome. It's a little cruiser, and it's not so little, actually. I mean, it's a it's roughly a, a pretty good-sized cruiser. Um, it's only 250, and it's got a nice-looking V-twin, and it hits all the style points that you don't see on bigger cruisers. I mentioned, let's put a pin in that uh, editor that I was talking to earlier today. He was saying he thinks that some of these other brands are able to bring these really good-looking bikes because they don't have to fit an image. They don't have to... They're, you're, you guys are trying harder to get market penetration right. and stuff like that, and so you're making these bikes that are just beautiful that I think a lot of people wish the OEs would make, you know, the uh, the Japanese OEs would make, but uh, instead they're coming out of places like China and you're beating them on smaller displacement bikes. Who would have who would have expected? And what's the price point on, on some of this stuff? Like, what's the price point on your uh, racing bike? The twenty nine ninety nine. So you're you're in the you're in that range. You're in a thousand dollars less than say the the closest competitor bike, which is which is which is out there. And the looks and the style is there. It's it's a good looking bike. Um, and people, when you when you start it and you go to ride it, you know mentally you're you're thinking you're going to hear some super loud engine. But keep in mind we're in a niche market. We're in a market to where someone that does doesn't uh, want a super heavy bike that you know maybe a, a female rider or a guy rider says you know new to riding um, and things of that nature or someone that just doesn't want to battle with a bigger bike or pay that price um, so we're in that market we know you know we're in a niche market and we excel at getting a quality product to the consumer at a price that they can afford and with a two-year warranty uh, so that that's key for us because um, a lot of people have a fear of buying products that are say off-brand or something like that but we are a brand um, worldwide and we make a huge number of bikes but bringing that image to the American public we have to bring an image and a bike that they would like that cafe racer oh my god that is just an absolute phenomenal bike because um, normally when you see something coming in from another country you're like ah, that doesn't really fit in here that is beautiful. That is a gorgeous bike. I wish I wish they could see it. It was just like a live video. It'd be awesome, right? Now. Yeah, I took some photos and I put them on Instagram, and uh, I noticed that it looks like Italian. It's got Moto Guzzi styling and mm-hmm. Triumph classic feel, and it hits all the things that those vintage British and, and Italian brands are looking for, and they're kind of missing the mark on their own, trying to stay modern. You know what I'm saying? Right. And this thing and this just thing nails it. This absolutely nails nails that look. I mean, if you look at the leather strap going over the tank and the contact points on the tank, um, I mean, you're you're mixing some old style with with the digital gauge that's done right. That, that's just really there. You, you're not blocking any view from the front. You don't have any gauges on the on the handlebars blocking anything. It's true cafe racer style, and they did it right. They did it right. I'm really proud of it. And. To mention how many motors you guys make worldwide, I mean, we're looking at bikes that are coming from you guys here, and your your motors have such a reputation that other, uh, we mentioned Janus, other motorcycle companies like that are using those in their production lines as well. So you guys have a, a really established... Um, to, to be honest, that's part of the reason I stopped over here after stopping at another booth is because I saw the, the LeFon name and I was like, what the heck, you guys got these motorcycles? It's not just motors sitting out right. here. So we're looking at an established 
motor name that's got, you know, people know them just from other people dropping these motors in an old frame maybe that they had lying around, can't find parts for, they'll drop a newer, refreshed Lifon in. And now you guys are making bikes and you're talking about, you know, newer riders, maybe female riders. I could see an old guy on a farm Absolutely. jumping on your ADV bike over there and using it as an ag bike, you know what right. I'm saying? Absolutely. And, you know, so we hit, we hit the key areas where, where the, the vast majority of the buyers are going to be. And we hit the, the price point where people would love to be. And the thing about the bikes here is that when you when you look around and you start you know looking at the bikes, they're they're not too tall, they're not too small, they're not there's nothing really that's that's a negative impact on. And the cool thing about like say the cruiser, um, people learn to ride bikes. They go out to training facilities and they're learning to ride on the on the Rebel and some of the other bikes that are out there. Um, and this bike is is larger. You know, it's a, it's a larger, uh, it's a more of a mainline bike. Look at the handlebars, it's a, a traditional full-size handlebars and everything. So the, the tank's huge, you know, so you're going to get plenty of range on the bike. The fuel efficiency on the bikes are amazing. Um, and then, of course, on the racing series bikes, the KPR, which stands for King Power Racing, which is what that's for, that engine is the same engine that goes in the racing bike. It's not a, it's not a different engine. It's the same exact engine. So, and people like that. And you can tell when you get on the bike and you ride and how balanced it is. You know, as far as a guy is concerned, guys can relate to this. You've ridden a bike before that's an unbalanced engine. You get off and there's a problem with the family jewels. <laughs> not on these. You're, you're actually, you're, it's actually a very comfortable ride. Yeah. Yeah. You feel like I'm never having kids after riding this one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So. I'm just, I'm amazed, and I'm, I'm glad I stumbled over here and, and started looking around because uh, it kind of led me to your guys' story, and I just, I love the stuff you guys got going here, and if you are in a cup, I know there's a couple cups here in, uh, in California, I know there's a couple cups in the States, and even worldwide, that the two and three hundreds is a huge class, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of guys that don't want to spend, you know, $10,000 on an even used Ducati or used R1 or something like that. It's so much nicer to get a, a smaller bike and just be able to go out and have fun and not worry about replacing parts and blowing the motor on a huge race bike so i think these actually look awesome you know what i'm saying if you're if you're budget-minded and you want to get into racing or even if you want to get into some fun canyon carving these things look so much fun and they got the lifan power plant at the heart of it to uh you know kind of back it up what is your um dealership like why you know the the uh, network like is there do you guys have dealers around the states yeah building the network the dealer network is a constant ongoing thing we're constantly putting dealers in different locations if any dealer is listening to this and wants to you know basically you know test us out try our product by all means contact us we're happy to talk to everybody um a lot of people have already had our engines and didn't even know it you know, you know, if you bought a power washer, chances are you probably had our engine even in that. Uh, so it, it's, it's all across the board. Um, and that market is something that, you know, the, as far as the low displacement engines, we pretty much own the market worldwide. The United States is something that we're putting a lot of effort into because we want to build the brand here. And to do so, we've got to get a strong dealer network. So that's what we're looking at doing. We're building it. And uh, we're here. We're here to stay. And we're happy to talk to anybody who wants to come on board. Whether it's a consumer who wants to call us and get information or what have you, visit our website. Uh, check that out as well. Um, and, uh, you know, on the podcast that you're listening to right now, you're going to get a lot of information. If you have a lot of questions, because sometimes you get right afterwards, you go, hey, I wonder about the blah, blah, blah. Take a look at what we have, and I think you'll find something that will fit everybody's uh, taste and everything. 
And I, we, we asked some international listeners, and I'm sure it's, it's so different talking to people in other countries because you don't ride a lot of big bikes over there. You are riding this stuff. So if you are somebody in Australia that's listening right now, or even we've, we've got people in um, you know, a lot of Asian countries and uh, Pakistan and stuff like that that I've, I've seen little plays pop up here and there. So I know they're familiar with some of these motors and the smaller displacement bikes. And if you guys over there are hearing this right now, check it out. Um, and if you're in America, if you're in the States, and they are looking to just get your eyes on these things, just check them out. Uh, is there any place on social media or a website where, we, where people can go to see these things in person and maybe see if there's a dealer around to come check it out? Absolutely. You can go to AmericanLafon.com or look for American Lafon on Facebook. Um, we have our page there. We're going to do some live remotes from here, and we're going to go over some of the, the products. As you'll see my mug, finally. And uh, we'll talk about the bikes and the, the key features that they have that are different than some of the other bikes that are out there you know like on our, our racing series the 200 is a six speed bike you know when you you know a lot of the bikes at that size don't have six speeds um so that makes it a very smooth ride so we'll talk about some features that we have that are unique to us and uh also you know people that are around the world if you hear the name lafon you already know about it um now the americans are going to hear about it so we're here and uh you know, just look for americanlafon.com and that'll get you everywhere you need to go Alrighty, so guys, go check it out. If nothing, just to look at the cafe racer that I'm talking about, just to check out their sport bike here. I mean, it's got 17s. Wiggins always talk about 17s, how the tire choices on these things, no matter where you are globally, it just makes a big difference. And the the name Lafon backs it up. So yeah, I'm over and out. I'm uh, I'm gonna sign off here. But Mike, it was a pleasure talking to you. you go to uh, check out AmericanLafon.com on the web. All right, thanks. Thank you much. All right, talk to you later. Take care now. Appreciate you listening and thank you. Thanks, Mike. So, so we're walking around AIM Expo 2018 here at the beautiful Mandalay Bay Convention Center, and I roll across a SoCal staple. What the hell? Uh, the Goonies Grom Squad. What's this all about? I've seen these guys at uh, Steady, and I've seen them in Steady's feed, and I've actually gone uh, over to Steady a couple times and seen some Goonies plastered bikes, but now I'm here, and... Uh, let me talk to this guy. What's your What's your name, sir? My name's Doug. Hey, Doug. What do you do uh, for, for the Goonies Grom Squad? And first off, give me that story. Then I want to hear what is the Goonies Grom, Grom Squad. So, wh- what do you do uh, here at the Goonies Grom Squad? Well, uh, the Goonies Grom Squad was originally um, formed because we do a weekly ride uh, out of Orange County. Um, we ride every Tuesday nights. Uh, kickstands up at seven. Uh, we're just a bunch of guys that like Groms, Z125s, mini scooters and stuff. Like to go have fun, ride around, go get something to eat, and then maybe go to stunt line afterwards, chill a little bit, and talk to people, and just have fun. That sounds like my type of Saturday night. Sick. Do you guys do this every week? Every week. So you could come. You could come to Orange County every week and come to a Tiny Tuesday ride, or you can go to our Las Vegas chapter, have a Wheelie Wednesday ride, or you can go to one of our the B, the Bay Area, and I think they have a fri- Foot Break Friday ride too. My God, this is a lot of uh, alliteration. They call that in the uh, the world of English. Yeah, uh, Tiny Tuesday, Foot Break Friday, Wheelie Wednesdays, Wheelie Wednesdays, and and that was it. <laughs> and that was it. Man, that's cool. And I'm seeing a lot of bikes here that I've seen, I know, at Steady Rides. You guys were at Super Sunday this year too, right? Yeah, we were. Super Sunday was was an all right ride for us. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you guys basically do everything that everybody dreams about doing. Hey, let's go ride our bikes. Let's go get some good food, and then let's, like, 
do chill, chill, either chill or do some hooligan stuff. So, dude, who doesn't want to do that stuff? And the fact that you guys are doing it on Groms, but what's this, a little, is that an R- R6? R6? Yeah, you guys doing stuff on big bikes, too, in the stunt show? Yeah, so what happens is in the mini world, like the Groms and the Z125s, it seems like they're perfect bikes for racing and stunting, too, because they're just set up fuel-injected, disc brakes. So what's happening is, is like people are learning how to either wheelie on the Grom, practicing on the Grom, which I think is a lot safer if you're going to do it, and then going over to a big bike and then learning on a big bike. But the trend that I'm seeing now, there's a lot of big bike stunters, and what they do is they buy minis because they're fun to ride they're easier to do the tricks they learn the tricks on the small bike and they come on the big bike and they they kill it at the lot yeah dude do you want to you want to like learn a new trick and cartwheel your r6 you want to do it on a you know a grom or a z125 and pick it back up and just try it again you know what i'm saying that's a pretty good idea and yep. you guys are based in orange county but you got a bunch of different uh you got a bunch of different chapters that's pretty big how big is the goodies grom squad so with our four chapters we have an orange county chapter which is the original then our next was the las vegas chapter which is headed by bobby uh, g star and will sando and then our bay area is head up uh, by train and seville um and jeezy um in the in the bay area and our pnw uh is uh manned by uh nick and brandon um so basically we're just a whole bunch of friends that rode groms and people were just like oh hey you know we we want to start a goonies grom squad in our area because we, we go to these rides where everybody comes from all these other places and then like we just meet up become friends yeah hey we we talked for a long time before and then we're like oh hey you guys want to be a goonies grom squad it's just about making friends being friends and keeping friends that's, that's the best part about riding. That's the best part about motorcycles in general is that it brings people together. And, dude, just actually, this is kind of funny, but after meeting Kevin and because I was interested in his Groms and his other scooter stuff that he does, I've actually probably met more people. The bigger bikes are like the Harley Crews. They're always like, hey, you know, you got to be like, you got to own a hog if you want to be with us or whatever. So I, I've actually met more people, and I don't even have a Grom. So <laughs> it's interesting. I just want to say, like, the uh, the big bike community compared to the mini community and things like that, I, I, just, I feel like I, I'm not, not to say anything about the big bikes because I love big bikes too, but the mini community, like, everybody just tries to help each other and they're just happier and they like to talk to each other like even stunting like hey do you know how to do this but someone will come over and say hey you know do it like this and stuff like that where as maybe in the big bike scene there's egos involved and stuff like that so then people aren't willing to show you what to do and stuff like that but in the minis like everybody's you know it's new it's challenging so people want to come and then try to stunt and then people just help each other you know and that's what i love i have nothing bad to say about the mini community yeah excellent and if anybody wants to check you guys out on social media or come down and do a ride, uh, what is like? Where can they find you? I'm, I'm guessing on Instagram, but what's your guys' handles? You guys have a website, Facebook, all that good stuff. Okay, so we we have a Facebook too. It's uh, Goonies OC Grom Squad. Um, we're on that occasionally, but we're mostly active on Instagram. Um, our handle is uh, OC Grom Squad. Oh, excuse me, it's Goonies uh, underscore OC Grom Squad. Uh, and then we have our other Grom Squads. Uh, the other ones are Goonies uh, underscore LV Grom Squad. Goonies underscore BA Ground Squad, Goonies underscore PNW Ground Squad. So I'm sorry about that, but I just want to shout out to them because, you know, I just, I just don't want to be all about the OC Goonies, you know? Uh, but uh, they could find us on Instagram. Um, Rich, my brother, does the Instagram live. He's pretty funny. Just try to hit him up. Uh, come every tiny Tuesday. Come to Tuesdays in Orange County if you guys can. Even if you have a big bike, come over. We don't, we don't discriminate. 
Nice. So I might even show up, even on a 250, I would be a little big. But yeah, anybody, come out, if nothing else, just to see people doing this stuff on minis. And real quick, can you run me through some of the most common, uh, like, upgrades or, like, customized tips or tricks to do to some of these bikes okay so it depends on what you're talking about aesthetically for looks the first thing that probably people do is get rid of that whale tail in the back so they'll get a fender eliminator you know and they'll get that rear tail light and the integrated uh, blinkers or something else um, for uh, performance wise the first mod that they'll probably do is like either an exhaust because it looks good and it sounds good and then after that maybe a intake Every single bike here too has like a little bit different. Like they're all they're all super custom, but they're not. Some of them are, aren't out there. Like this one has like a under uh, underbelly exhaust. Yeah. That one's got like a pretty ripping looking can on it. And yeah. so yeah, they're all cool enough. They're all just enough the same, but also like crazy unique. This one's got like a. A step for like doing wheelies and stuff on it standing up on the back so that they could do stand-up wheelies yeah so i mean you could always do that too get rid of your license plate and put one of those on yeah we could do that <laughs> that bike belongs to jason Britton. he he's a big bike guy that loves the z125 does the z world at the amas before every ama no kidding so even him what well, famous stunter on a big bike yep. he's got his own z125 yes. man that is awesome well hey i'm gonna I actually want to come check out some of this stuff sometime, sure. and it's worth the drive to me to come check it out, and, and it maybe will even convince me to get a 125. What do you think about all these crazy, like, 125 and 150s that aren't Groms and Z125s that are here at the show? Have you seen any of them? I've seen most of them. Um, my honest opinion is is the ones that I've seen already, the Chinese ones and stuff, they're all carbureted. Um, I would rather go with fuel-injected. Uh, they're nice bikes and stuff like that. The only problem that you're going to find up in the mini, so the mini world is exactly what you're saying. It's about customization. The thing about the Chinese brands, there's not a lot of customization involved because of the aftermarket parts, but for the Honda and the Z, there's tons of parts for them that people could customize any way they want. Right, good point. I didn't think about that when I was talking to those guys over there. So yeah, hey, thank you for uh, walking me through some of this stuff, giving us all the Instagrams and shouting out to all the chapters because they need it. And, and man, I'm telling you, I've talked to people that were like, haven't ridden also old guys that were like, oh, I want to get back into it. These look fun for just around town. And I was like, do it because you're going to see 80 other guys on these things. You just see them. They pack up. And, and like you said, they're, it's like pigeons. You fly around and you see one and, and then 20 more come, you know, all of a sudden. So this is rad. Thanks for uh, sharing this with me. And give his brother a hard time since he's not here. Uh, <laughs> Richard. Richard, yeah, give Richard Lee a hard time <laughs> and uh, tell him Doug, Doug made you do it. So thanks, Doug, for hanging out with us today. Any cool sign-offs? Um, send it. All right, everybody, I'm here at AIM Expo 2018 in the beautiful Mandalay Bay Convention Center. I've come across two people that I'm a huge fan of. It's a new podcast called the NoCo Moto Podcast, uh, put on by the Brothers Bolton, but that's not their names on the show. If you listen to the show, you'll hear distinctly different names, distinctly different voices, and a wonderful opinions of motorcycles past and present, and they have a few bits that they do, a few segments that uh, are regular bits that I don't think any other shows are doing. You guys are doing a great job. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. I've already messed it up by uh, stomping all over who they are, but let's go ahead and meet these fellas. All right, so I'm Moto G. Pete of the NoCo Moto podcast. I guess I'm the I'm not uh, one of the co-hosts. I, I have this terrible habit on the show of saying I'm your host, as if Swiggy here isn't a host as well. <laughs> and your lovely brother here to your left? Uh, I'm the non non-dominant personality, Swiggy. Uh, otherwise known as Jonathan. 
And what do you guys, you guys have had to show out, you guys told me, January of this year, so you guys are less than a year old. You've got more listens than me and uh, Motorcycle Misfits put together. I don't think that's true at all. I think me. <laughs> I don't know. You, I, from the little research I've done, you seem to pop up and list a little sooner than us. But, um, you know, uh, if, if quality is an indicator of listens, maybe we're right about where we should be. <laughs> You guys have a great show. You guys cover lots of different topics. You guys don't look that old. You guys are, what, early 20s? But you got you talk about vintage bikes like you lived back in the day. Where does you guys love of motorcycles come from? It's a family thing. We've always had bikes in the family. We've just been obsessed for ages. I appreciate you thinking we're so young. We're not quite that young. We're probably a little closer to your age than you, than you might think. But it's really just been a huge obsession. Um, Bruce from This Motorcycle Life was asking this question. He said, well, why did you start this show? Where does this all come from? And the truth is these were conversations we were having on a weekly basis anyway. And then we decided we just had to start recording it. It just needed to happen. Yeah, I mean, that's basically how every good podcast starts. It starts with a story that you start recording. It doesn't start with some fabricated podcast like some that I know called <coughs> is where you're just bored out of your mind and you want to talk motorbikes with somebody. But uh, your guys' input, you guys play really well off each other. And I'm 164, by the way. I, I think I'm a lot older than you guys. I get everybody's age wrong. But uh, as the soft-spoken, underrated, highly underrated, and uh, second second bone here, I think you're actually a major player in this, Swiggy. You guys have a great uh, rapport on air, and you really don't say much in person. But on the show, you're, you've got quite a lot of input. Yeah, well... First of all, all right. That's all. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, you really like you do. Like you, you haven't said much all weekend, but I, I can tell you got a lot to say. I'd say I'm, I'm definitely much more of an introverted personality. Um, if you get a few beers with me and we're just talking about bikes, though, uh, it all spills out. Um, Which is why we drink during the show. It's an important element. Right. It, it brings. Does it bring the honesty? Yeah, to a degree. In fact, I think in a few episodes I've had to edit some of the things out that I've said because <laughs> I got a little too real. Um, but but yeah, uh, we definitely play off each other. Where where Peter is more of a there's a more emotional element to it, and there's a lot more energy. Whereas I generally comes I generally come at things from more of a, a spec sheet and and then kind of you know. Peter will start with the emotion and then break it down into the specs and the value. And I will start with the specs and the base elements, and then I'll build it up to an emotional value. So we come at it from each direction, and that's how we, we play off each other. Is this true? I, yeah, that's completely true. I would say one of the more important things that Swiggy does is research, which I don't do a lot of. <laughs> And he will bring me back down to earth when I really just tear off into the ridiculous, uh, which I'm prone to do. Everybody needs a, a wingman that'll do that for him. I'm going to guess you're the younger brother. Yeah. Has this? Uh, have you guys gotten some off-air fights or you had to edit anything out where you get into the uh, I told you so sort of thing as, as brothers? I know I, I probably wouldn't be able to do a podcast with my brother. No, not really. It just because, like I said, we eat, sleep, breathe motorcycles. And 
we've talked this out so much. We know a lot of each other's opinions on these things. So we can negotiate these waters pretty well, pretty efficiently most of the time. Occasionally, there, there has been some, you know, some moments of, hey, hard disagreement there. But overall, we, we sort of help each other walk through a narrative that we're almost just creating on the spot. And so there's some improvisational technique and a little uh, more yes and than no buts in, in how we go back and forth. Yeah, I wish me and Wiggins could get on, on board with that. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of him saying no and me going, okay. Uh, how is the writing? You guys are in, it's no-co, and that's not no-cal, it's no-co. You guys are coming out of Colorado. Yeah, so... The show's no Komodo, although the odd thing is we're not from Colorado. We're actually kind of from all over the world. But this northern Colorado is where we live now and have lived for or five, six years about. And it's a great place to live and it's a great place to ride and it's a great place for motorcycles. So we thought, I don't know, that's just got to, you know, the, the name of the show isn't even really that important. It's, we're doing a show and we thought, well, this is where we are. This says a lot of things. No one's identifying from this region. And at least it's a name that's a little bit snappy. And maybe if uh, the show catches on, we could... It's easy to spin off into other directions. You know, maybe one day there'll be a no-komodo garage. Maybe one day there'll be a website. Maybe one day there'll be a riding club. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Maybe one day Kevin Bacon will have a band called So-Ko No-Fro No-Ko, and it'll be, you guys will be the backup singers. Uh, all that aside, <laughs> what type of stuff do you guys ride, and how long is your riding season up there in Colorado? I'm going to go to Swiggy, because you've had a lot of airtime, buddy. You do, steal the, you do steal the mic a lot. <laughs> so we generally have a, a pretty consistent uh, riding season from about late March up until... Uh, the end of September but we generally make it a point to ride as much as possible and we don't put our bikes away in November or October we will you know, any day that it's over 40 degrees we'll, we'll commute and we'll go riding on our bikes over 40 god that's like arctic winter in SoCal and, and what do you have what do you ride uh, I have two bikes right now I have a 2000 uh, Kawasaki W650, and I have a, a 2008 Moto Guzzi Norge. Nice. Is that W650 a gray market? Because they didn't bring those to the States from what I know, right? They did bring it over, but they only brought it over for 2000 and 2001, and I believe at most 1500 to 2000 were ever sold here. So it's a... It's, it's hard to find. Yeah, those in the W800s were some of my favorite bikes. I wish they would make some. I mean, they made the 900 RS, which just kind of plays off that cool aesthetic. Okay, what about you, MotoGP? So I've got what Knock has. I have a 2001 uh, Honda Superhawk 996. I'm so glad you didn't say syphilis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love the hell out of that bike. Uh, I'm always a fan of... Your, your diamond in the rough, uh, bang for buck, horsepower, forgotten about, 90s sort of sport bikes. That's what I'm really, that's, that's my sweet spot. Now, I don't know, did anybody ask you guys this? How did you guys come up with the names MotoGP and Swiggy? Is this on your birth certificate and you changed your names to Peter and uh, Jonathan? Or is this, uh, you guys pick it for the show? Or is this something that came out of organically just because of your interests? I gave some some thought to 
having some sort of on-air persona. And I don't think MotoGP came to me until I just got super hammered one night and came up with it and magically remembered it. And Swiggy's always sort of had the the Swiggy nickname. Sometimes he's been also labeled Jonathan, do you drink to excess only? Yes, I do, Bolton. That's awesome. Is this true? It's very true. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I... I I, I'm the sort of person who will, and this is probably tied to my introverted nature somewhat, but I have, I'm the sort of person who doesn't really drink on a day-to-day basis, but once we're having an event, just all bets are off. Yeah. I know. How are you guys liking Vegas so far, then? Vegas is fantastic. This is our first time here. This is our first big convention. This is a lot of firsts. This is our first time meeting all the other podcasters, some of the YouTubers, um, seeing all these all these weird booths and manufacturers that we've heard about, people that we've known about, want to talk to, and uh, the connections we're making, it's fantastic, and the party scene's not bad either. You guys gambled any since you've been here? Uh, no. But plenty of drinking. Hey, there's a guy videotaping us behind us. Let's act cool, guys. Let's act cool. <laughs> um, yeah, no, this is definitely... I've gone to a lot of different motor shows, and I've never gone to AIM, and I have to say the amount of vendor interactions that you get here is so much different than IMS or like a lot of other motorcycle shows where the OEMs have the spotlight and they want to get their bikes out and tell you about all the great things and sell motorcycles. This really is a good place to spotlight vendors and meet new people. There's got to be like 25 podcasts here, you know, this year. So uh, I'm glad I got to meet you guys. Um, What's your guys, I think we're getting ready to, uh, I'm getting ready to go back home pretty soon. So I got to cut this short, but Instagram, Facebook, iTunes, iCloud, where can we find you guys? The iCloud, could you believe I said that? The iCloud, can we find you in the cloud anywhere? Well, really it's what? iTunes, we're on Google Music, what? Spotify. Spotify, any others? I don't know. Not really. Uh, we're not huge social media people, but if you send us an email to nokomotopodcast at gmail.com, we will read it. Yeah, we respond to everything. We pretty much read every email we can. And in Colorado, you guys are bear hunters or something, I heard? Not, yeah, yeah, I don't, for legal purposes, I don't want to expand on that too much. Just, you just have to know that they make a means to a living where they can record a very fine podcast, and that's all I'm going to say about that. But guys, I had a blast. It was fun hanging out with you guys this weekend. Um, listen to their show. They, you guys do have a unique perspective, that, and, and your, you know, your brotherly rapport really comes through in the show, and it's a good show. And if you haven't heard about it, everybody's heard of the Motorcycles and Misfits. You know, they don't need any more listeners, but come on, give us little guys a chance, and uh, check out the NoCo Moto Podcast. Uh, anywhere you get your fine podcast. And guys, any cool sign-offs? Stay safe and stay tuned. All right. Talk to you guys later. Later, Swiggy. Later. Bye. All right, guys. That was our AIM wrap-up show. I hope you enjoyed it. And peace out until next week when Wiggins is back. I'm off crack. And is that your sign-off? <laughs>